When I first transitioned from traditional media, television and radio to the online space, I was lucky. I met a few people fairly early on in the journey who really helped me out, people who were well along the path. I often credit Mari Smith as one of the people who opened my eyes to the entire world of online marketing and content marketing. And I, I'm beholden to her to this day for taking me under her wing and introducing me to a lot of the concepts and the entire space, just kind of nurturing me through it. Another fairly early person who I actually didn't meet him until a little bit later, but I read his book very early on and it had a profound impact on me. And that is Marcus Sheridan. His book is They Ask, You Answer. And in essence, Marcus's book boils down, content marketing boils down what we do online to the simplest terms. That if you create a community and you answer the questions that they are asking, you serve the community, and only good can come from that process. The book is based on Marcus's experience as the owner of a pool company. They, they built in-ground pools in, on the eastern seaboard. And in 2008, when the big recession hit, uh, pool business just evaporated, no pun intended. But businesses were going out of business left, right, and center. But Marcus managed to keep his business afloat. And in fact, they thrived as they came out of the recession because uh, he committed to becoming the pool answer guy. He built a blog and he answered every question that people asked about in-ground pools, and he became the authority in his space. It's more than just answering questions though. Marcus understood that the most valuable currency in the current online world was trust. He built his business on the trust economy. And everything that he did just resonated with me. Everything he said in the book resonated with me. And it informed me for how I would end up building my YouTube channel and actually building the entire Dottotech online brand. So I was fortunate enough to reach out to Marcus and say, would you please be a guest on the, on the, on the podcast? And so today on Gray Matters, one of my mentors, the person who probably had the most profound impact on the early days of me building the Dotto Tech brand, Marcus Sheridan. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for those of us in the gray zone. What is the gray zone? Primarily baby boomers and Gen X, those of us sporting a touch of gray. We're interested in finding our place in the digital age. On this podcast, we will learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, all from our perspective. The world's changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore. We're facing the prospect of a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need a side hustle to take our experience and put it to work for us. We need to develop mad skills, adapt, and evolve in order to remain relevant in the digital age. I can help. This podcast can help. I'm glad you found us. Just before we dive into the interview with Marcus, a few housekeeping notes. Marcus mentions a few sites and a few services. I will have links in the podcast notes or in the blog post for all of the links that he is talking about. And before we get into things too deeply, I need to thank our supporters at Patreon. I want to do a quick shout out to those of you who make this podcast, to the entire Dottotech platform possible, and that is our community of support on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding service. It's similar to Kickstarter, but for content creators like me. 
And we've got an amazing community who support us financially, making it possible for us to create this podcast, our weekly tutorials on Webinar Wednesday, our YouTube videos, pretty much everything that we create. So I'm asking you to consider supporting us. There are perks, and the perks are terrific. For our $10 a month patrons, which is the vast majority, the perks include access to our Webinar Wednesday archives, where we have over 100 tutorial webinars on productivity, online marketing, and content creation. And our latest perk is free access to our online course, Don't Retire, Rewire, which teaches baby boomers and Gen X what their online options are for reinventing themselves instead of retiring. The links are all in the show notes below, or just remember, patreon.com slash dottotech. Once again, I'm just blown away by the support being offered by you folks to both the Dotto Tech brand and the Gray Matters podcast. So this week, joining us as new patrons, I want to welcome Joel Nodelman. I want to welcome Stephanie Menzies, Carolyn Taylor, Liz McKen, Jim Baker, Pete Matthews, Pamela Barnett, Lindsay Glover, and Peggy Evans. I want to welcome Ellie Hunter and Jeff Murray, Fernando Savoy, Tom Morin, Spike Burkhart, and David Markham, all who have joined us here and are supporting us uh, at Patreon. Thank you so much. You folks, Just you, you make me smile every day. I'm just always amazed at the fact that people are willing to step up and say, we support what you're doing, Steve, and we're willing to support you financially as well as just by listening to you. So welcome aboard, one and all. Thank you so much. Well, you know, it's um, it's it's a funny thing. In two thousand and eight, I was, I was pretty positive that I was going to file bankruptcy. In two thousand and eight, and um, in fact, I talked to three consultants at the time, and uh, right after the crash, uh, so it was probably around uh, November December time, and they all said, you know, you really should just file bankruptcy. I was thinking to myself, well, that's pretty easy for you to say because you're not going to lose your house. Because, um, you know, like most typical small businesses, that's where I was, right? And uh, it was tied to the loan and uh, our credit lines and everything. And so I didn't want to do that. And so that's when that's when I finally started to, to do things that I hadn't done, Steve. And I think that's the beauty of pain is it forces us to lean into that which we, in many cases, knew we should have been doing long before that. You know, so I knew for probably a solid year or two that that the internet was going to be really, really big in in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. It was just, it was like it had been, you know, email went hardcore for business roughly nineteen ninety seven. That's the year that it caught. But still, in two thousand and eight, there was people that were denying the importance of websites, and I was like, you know, psh, this is ridiculous. We're doing everything now online. I'm learning everything online. And so that's when I finally took the time to learn about it. And what I heard in my simple pool guy mindset was, you know what, if you just answer your customers' questions, Marcus, you might save your business. And so that's what we did for two straight years. Every night for two straight years, I would sit there at 10 p.m. when my wife and kids were asleep and I would slap the keys to the kitchen table and I would write one long answer to some question about fiberglass swimming pools. And within two years, 
I knew we were just going to reach a stratosphere that I never imagined. Uh, within three or four years, we became the most trafficked swimming pool website in the world. And um, I look back on it, and I tell everybody to this day that 2008 is the greatest blessing of my life, other than my wife and four kids, because of the motivation <laughs> that it gave me during those fearful times. So yeah, I certainly, I certainly reminisce a little bit on those feelings now in 2020, and it's another very, very unique time period. But once again, it is wrought with innovation. I see it all around me. So where did you get the clarity to stay the course? You know, you, you boiled it down to the simplest denominator, right? The lowest common denominator. And you did that. But you, you must have had some clarity. And that's one of the challenges I think baby boomers have as they're looking to pivot, as they're looking to take their experiences online, is they don't necessarily have clarity of what it is they are going to do. They know they have a, the ability to do something. All of the other pool manufacturers must have known they could do something. But you had the clarity to choose the right thing to do. Where did that come from? You know, I think it's um, stunning, frankly, how often we overcomplicate that, which is so very simple, right? And so uh, let me give you an example. I think, I really think the reason why I was or have become a pretty successful speaker is because I don't use words like content marketing. I don't use the phrase when I speak. Even though I teach it and people know me for it that are marketers, business owners don't know me for content marketing, right? Business owners will say things like, that's that guy that helps you become the most trusted voice in your space, right? And see, there's a big difference between the two. And, you know, I was once reading Pat Flynn a long time ago. I think I was watching a video of his or something. And this is right around 2009 or 10. He said, you know, it's dumb not to dumb it down. And I don't think he came up with a phrase. He might, might have. But I thought to myself, yeah, he's right. It's dumb not to dumb it down. And so for me personally, it was never the intention to sound smart. The only intention that I had was to turn the light bulbs on by communicating in a way that everybody just got it, that they understood it. Now, so people around the world by 2011 were contacting me saying, yeah, Marcus, I'm here in the Virgin Islands. Can you come and help me install my pool? Because I don't trust my pool builder out here, but I really trust you. And I'm thinking to myself, if this guy only knew that I don't know how to install a swimming pool, because I didn't, I couldn't even turn the stinking machinery on. I'm a, I'm a complete and total idiot when it comes to when it comes to, unfortunately, working with my hands, I'd like to be better. But I'm just not very good. But what I can do is I can translate things that I see or hear from other people in a way that people actually understand it. And you see, I think everybody inherently has gifts and talents. And if you release the desire to sound smart and impress people and just say, all right, I'm just going to teach the world what life has taught me. And I think that's really the crux of it in many ways, Steve, is I want to teach the world what life has taught me. That just allows you to get past all that fluff that we see in the world, vanity metrics, stuff that doesn't really matter. And then you can really start to build some momentum online because people, you know, everybody's got a BS meter. All right. You got one. I got one. We sense it pretty quickly online. And at the same time, we have a sincerity meter where we see something and we, and we almost like tilt our head and say, I don't know what it is about that guy or that gal, but just something about them I really like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep coming back. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn some more. So in your talks, you talk a lot about trust. If, if, if that's your word of the decade without question, am I correct? Yeah, yeah I definitely think that is. Mm -hmm. When your business was good, 
2006, when things were, when the competition, when the downturn hadn't happened and you guys were getting bookings, yeah. things you, were good. Yeah, you could breathe. Once, if you could breathe, you could get a loan for a swimming pool. There you, know. you go. Yeah. And when did you have the respect for trust, for the trust of your customers then? Or was it when you reached the crisis point that you recognized that that was the commodity that would make a difference? Yeah, that's a good, that's a real good question. Um, in 2006, I don't, I don't think that I really spent much time thinking about trust. We were doing outbound forms of marketing, like everybody else at the time, right? Um, hoping that would stimulate the phone to ring. And then I was hoping by some some just majestic use of words, I could go into the home and win them over at that point, right? Because I sold in the home and I did that for quite a few years, like most swimming pool companies at the time. And, you know, the problem with that, of course, Dosti, was I was I was just another number, right? I was I was just another company. We didn't distinguish ourselves. We didn't we didn't prep them in any way. You know, and they, they they were barely even in the funnel by the time I got to the house because we had done no education. And that's one thing I, I to this day I try to help, you know, companies understand like the leads that you have and the conversations that you have with prospects are as good or as bad as the messaging that brings them there. Right. And so you can have two companies in the exact same industry. One says our in- internet leads are the best leads we get. Next one says internet leads suck. Like, no, this is the leads has nothing to do with the internet. It's just as good as bad or as bad as the messaging that brought them to the point where they became that lead. But the moment that I just started simplifying it in my mind, and that's, I think that's, if, if you said, Marcus, what is your talent? Uh, the strength finder, um, which I, I I love the strength finder. Um, if you've never identified your strengths in the strength finder tool, I'd recommend it to anybody. But but my number one is strategy. And um, what a strategist does, they look at patterns and they're able to say, or they're able to clarify what the patterns mean when other people uh, can't necessarily do it or understand it, right? And I didn't know this until uh, I think it was a year or so ago that I took one of these tests. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's exactly right. So instead of saying content marketing, I'd say, they ask, you answer. If somebody has a question, you answer it on your website. You know, that sticks with people, right? It's easier to put your arms around. You can see that. You can feel it. Again, it goes back to dumbing it down in such a way that everybody can just have the light bulb go off. And It was the light bulb moment for me. That's what that's what my business is built on. Yeah, and you're known for that, right? And that's why you're considered a foremost teacher on this because, you know, if there's you know, I mean, I think you're symbolic of a lot of these things because I've seen you communicate many times now and there's you can always tell if somebody is is trying to prove themselves when they're on the camera or trying to prove themselves when they're on the microphone. And then there's there's the other and this is actually a minority. The, there's those that have just released that. It's, it just doesn't matter to them. And uh, and you've got that. And I really mean that. You've got, I'm not just saying that because I'm on, on your show right now. You've got that. And when people really do, and it's this hard, I find this is a hard thing to contextualize, even as I'm describing it right now. But it's amazing. And it's not just like, you know, someone says, oh, yeah, you just don't care what other people think about you. Well, yeah, but you almost release the need to be validated by any of it. So one of the things that I've gotten a lot in the last um, couple months, and you probably received this too, is 
you know, what's it like, Marcus? You're not getting on on planes, and you know, because I I generally spend about 120 nights a year in a hotel because I'm I'm spending so much time uh, speaking at these different events. Uh, I didn't know this before, but I've come to realize this in the eight weeks that we've been hunkered down now, and that is I do not receive validation by speaking. I just it just doesn't. It's just I don't need it. Now I love it, but I don't need it. And it's amazing what you can accomplish as a thinker when you release that. You know, one time, this was early days of um, of digital, because, you know, every year in digital is like, like dog years, right? Like, it really feels like that, right? 2008, a long time ago. So I remember one time, it was probably around 2010, Seth Godin said, and he was already huge by 2010, and Godin said, I'm not taking comments on my blog. He was the first one to do that. I'm not taking comments. I'm turning them off. Everybody like freaked out because, you know, there was a season in the blogosphere where commenting was like a full-time job, right? That was, that was like the low point of, 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 of blogging and then just of digital in many ways. And, um, and he said, I'm turning it off and I'm turning it off because I don't want what other people say or how much they comment or what they comment to influence what I feel needs to be said next. And at the time, I didn't fully understand it until I got into it and started blogging in 2000, November 2009. Nobody listened the first year. You know, by the end of the second year, I'm probably getting on average 50 comments per post. By the end of the third year or so, I'm like, man, if I don't get 100 comments per post, I've done something wrong. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you, you idiot? You know, you're you're basing, you're judging if you've succeeded or failed, and how many people have left a comment. The majority of which are pretty, you know, empty anyway. I mean, what's what's going on here? What really matters to you? And so, like one day, I just stopped looking at everything. I stopped looking at uh, just as for my personal blog. I stopped looking at Google Analytics. I stopped looking at all those things that matter to a lot of people. And I'm not saying they shouldn't matter, especially to businesses, because I still look at Google Analytics for my pool company or for my agency. But I, I didn't look at it for myself because I, I didn't want to be connected to those things. I didn't want them to influence what I felt the marketplace needed to hear. And I think when the boomers are out there and they're saying, what do I need to do? If they can release that, that's a, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. That, that's a transition from just a teacher to thought leader that, that Seth went through early and then you've gone through. And, that's a good point, yeah. And, and, but so many people who are now doing the pivot from working in a cubicle, working in a company, I think that this is something that you might have a really unique perspective on because you've gone through the transition from being the guy running the company to the guy who's now built the online presence. Yeah. So, Think about the your clients, the ones that you go into and you talk to, and not necessarily the man, the uh, the bosses, but their management layer, the ones who are now at risk. Their jobs are at risk. They're going to be packaged out. They see the writing on the wall. They are no longer dreaming of opportunities, but they're starting to worry about just just remaining relevant, remaining in the game. What advice can you give them as they look for as they look to kind of carve out a new opportunity for themselves? You know, let me preface this by saying that you know everybody's situation is uniquely theirs. So whatever I'm about to say does and does not apply to everyone that's listening. So I try to lean into principles that I know to be true because 
principles reach across the aisle. They, they, you know, they weren't ever born. They just are, right? That's why I talk about trust a lot. I'd rather talk about trust than MySpace, right? It's just, for me, that's because trust is going to be here for a long time. And so as we, as I answer this question, I think it's critical that we look at it from that point of view, knowing that I don't understand what everybody's going through. And it's easy for listeners to say, but you don't understand. Yet at the same time, in many ways, we're more similar than we are different. I, I believe that to be true, um, regardless of what you, you see in the press. I mean, I think we're more similar than we are different. I think what is fundamental in times like this, like what we're going through right now, or if you're getting ready to... If, you're, if you know there's a major change that's happening in your life that would be perceived as negative, and number one is you do not feel sorry for yourself. Because what is the alternative? We can sit here and we can say, son of a gun, son of a gun. I, I've done all these things. Look the hand that I've been dealt now. Son of a gun, right? Or we can sit there and we can say, I'm going to turn this into an opportunity. That resonates because in 2008, your peers felt sorry for themselves and they gave up. They did. They absolutely did, bud. I, and, I, and, and where did it get them? It's a, it's a, it was a bunch of pounding sand. This is why almost 50% of the pool companies in the U.S. went out of business during that time period. It's because, A, they, they, they hadn't been really working on themselves in the previous years. They were, they were pretty fat and happy with where they were, right? And they were complacent. And so they, they hadn't been investing in their personal bank account that was their, their mind and their soul. And they weren't ready for this. They weren't fortified. And then afterwards, they did not react accordingly because they felt like the world owed them. And frankly, the world doesn't owe us anything. It really does. It doesn't. It doesn't owe you, me, anybody here. They reacted out of fear. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's it's just like I just always think about the alternatives, you know. Okay, so I have choices right now, how I can how I can, you know, think about these things. And from what I can track right now, I've lost at least a million. Uh, sorry, half a million dollars in business so far. That was like just like personally, that was on the books for speaking, consulting. So I've lost a half a million dollars there in March. I had put down, I had for three years, I've been looking at a boat because my passion is boating, as you know. What type of boat was it? Um, it was a 31-foot uh, pilot house uh, made by a company called Steigercraft. It's an offshore fish, fishing boat. And Look it up. Yeah, and um, it's 31-foot Miami is the model. And so I had put down a deposit on this, and I was waiting for um, – I was just going to get a short-term loan from the bank, and and so I, I was waiting for the loan to to hit my account so I could pay off the boat. I had signed the the bill of sale, and then as this was happening, right like two days beforehand, I started getting all the calls that my events were canceled, right, and I said, "Oh my goodness, we're done for the year. We're done for the year." Um, now is that still up in the air. Yeah, I still think we're probably done for the year in terms of my main source of revenue as a speaker. So could I have just kept the loan and just kept doing it? Yeah, but I immediately just took the money from the loan and paid back the loan. And I canceled my deposit, excuse me, my order, and I've put down a $20,000 deposit that I'm not getting back. Do I feel sorry for me? 
No, because 99.9% of the world would love to be in a position just to be able to put down a $20,000 deposit on a boat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do. It's the same reason I love cutting the grass. I love cutting the grass because 99% of the world would love to have grass to cut. It's how you react to the, the challenges. In 2008, when you had your debt turned down, turned here, in, the, in a one-week period, just like what you happened, recently happened with you with the uh, cancellation of all of the speaking gigs, uh, we were doing our TV show here in Canada. And I had a week from hell in which, over the course of the week, I had five sponsors mm. call me that were all booked to sponsor the TV show <laughs> and pull. All five. Five out of my ten mm. sponsors pulled out of the show, which basically cut our budget in half. And we had to go back and either cancel the season or we had to completely reinvent our product in order to go to air again. And that was a that was a real challenge. And I don't recall if I did. I probably did feel a lot, to be honest. I probably did feel a little bit sorry for myself. But I also knew that I had the responsibility of my team and we had to get going and we had to we had to get past this or we were all lost. It was a time that's kind of, it's a little bit blurry now because it's like we're scrambling so hard. But what a week yeah. that was. That's what your week must have been like as, as all of these calls were coming in and you, and you were looking at the future. You're just like, what's next? Each morning I knew I was going to wake up and I knew I was going to have a notification, another email of somebody else, you know, and another event. And I had a few of these events where my wife was going to go on an anniversary we were going to go together heck my daughter's getting married um in a oh. month and we can't invite yeah. anybody wow. right so but she's still going to get married because like i told her do you get married for yourself or do you get married for everybody else i get married for myself and my loved one i said that's exactly right and so that's that's where our mindset is on this and i think one thing too as this is going on there's different ways that we pound sand right there's different ways that we feel sorry for ourselves um one of the rules that I made for myself once uh, quarantine started was um, that I was not going to pick up any new TV shows unless I was on the treadmill to watch said show. Okay, So in other words, you notice you're on social media and you keep seeing people saying, all right, what's left on Netflix? What can I binge watch next? Yeah, what yeah. can I binge watch next? I'm like, man – I said, I read that. I almost cringe to myself. People saying that. I'm like, what an amazing time we have to work on ourselves, right? And so my rule, the standard that I set when I started this was, you can binge watch it if you want, but you have to be on a treadmill the whole time. So I'm not going to binge watch anything because I can't stay on the treadmill. I can't physically do it. And so you know, it's like most I've been able to make is like 90 minutes. I'm 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 cooked, right? And so what that means is I don't know what everybody's talking about when they say, oh, the final votes arc was out there and it was amazing. I have no idea what everybody's talking about, but I do know this. I do know that I've been reading books and I'm getting inspired and I've come up with a ton of new talks. And the fact of the matter is that if, if the only way that we're going to get inspired is we've got to surround ourselves with greatness. And sometimes we can surround ourselves with greatness by being with other people that are great. Right. And that's wonderful. That's why masterminds are wonderful. You know, I know you're familiar with those, Steve, but, you know, right now we can't rub elbows uh, with a lot of people. But what we can do more than maybe we've been able to do in years is consume some of that beautiful knowledge that other people have, that IP that they have, and grab a hold of it and just allow our mind to wander. Right. And so instead of getting lost in the show, we have a chance to get lost in ideas and the possibilities. And then all of a sudden we say, you know what? Why not? 
Why not that? And if there is one thing that I that I do remember well about 2008 was about a year before that, luckily for me, I had fallen back in love with learning. And so I was in this learning mode and I was reading different books on multiple streams of income and different things like that. And it was right. And my, my mind was just thinking faster, right? Everything was sharper. And so when the crash came, I was in this mode already of action, action, you know, um, you know, move, move and figure it out, be live in the solution. And, and right now, it's the same thing. I'm living in the solution. When this happened, Steve, I said, I'm going to take every client that I've got and I'm going to give a free webinar to every single one on how to sell virtually. And so I called up every single one of them and I said, I'm going to give a free virtual selling webinar to your team or to your audience. Because in my mind, I said, all right, well, I got to do another pivot and I won't have the income from speaking. So I need to do consulting now and I need to do it at a level that I can still support my employees within my speaking company until speaking ever comes back. And I got to figure I'm not going to have enough revenue to support them until 2021. So what can I do? Well, I got to do consulting. How quickly can I do that? Well, let's see. What's the quickest way to do consulting? To give, give, give. Give, 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 right? As many pieces of the pie as you can give until people say, I want to order the whole piece. And so that's what's been happening. And so now, you know, I filled up that pipeline again. Um, it's just a different pipeline. And I wasn't doing consulting. Um, I just didn't have time, but now I got nothing but time. And so I feel really good about that. And that, for me, is where I get the validation because I feel like I'm making progress and I feel like I'm helping people. I'm just not doing it from stage, and I'm fine with that. Just out of curiosity, do you find delivering a webinar to be more or less work than the same talk on stage? I think it's uh, very easy to do. Um, the, the reason why I feel like it's um, easy to do, I'm not getting on a plane. And there's no physicality to it. Mm. And um, as long as I am talking, I uh, get warmed up and, and speak a little bit, um, either to myself or somebody else, you know, have a few calls beforehand, then my mind is in the right place. I, I don't find that they're incredibly, uh, for me, this is not for everybody, but I don't find they're incredibly difficult. But at the same time, I don't judge myself harshly like a lot of people do. I'm not getting a ton of engagement from the other side because I can't see them and all I can get is Q&As. I'm not sitting there doubting myself the whole time because I've released that already. Uh, again, it goes back to the validation points. So you decided to deliver webinars on selling virtually. Yeah. What were the what are the key tenets? Yeah, so so immediately I said, okay, look around what's happening right now. What's happening right now is you have all these salespeople that are twiddling their thumbs. They are being forced to sell virtually. And traditionally they've been told nose to nose, face to face. That's how we do it in our industry. That's right. You see that in industries all over the all over the globe. They don't have that opportunity right now. And I don't think it, that is not going to go back to the way that it was. Most of them, um, not only are they afraid of the technology, but there's a set of of best practices that I have picked up on of selling through video conferencing tools like Zoom over the course of three years now of, of consistently doing it. And plus, as soon as this all went down, for at least two years, I've been telling my pool, my, my, my swimming pool sales team, I'm like, why don't y'all sell by video? And they're like, because you got to go out to the house, Marcus. I'm like, I know, but why can't you still sell by video? And so we weren't doing anything about it until COVID hits, Steve. As soon as COVID hits, I said, put on the website, we're offering virtual sales appointments. 
we don't need to come out to your house. We can give you everything you need. And so now you fill out the get a quote form. There's this option to where you can choose to have a virtual sales experience. And then as soon as you choose that, Steve, here's what's going to happen. We had to overcome one main issue, seeing the yard. Yeah. So we created video that shows you how to take photos of your backyard for us. And so now – How simple is that to do though? So stupidly simple, yet nobody in the world had done this. Not a pool company in the world had done this up to this point. And so we are probably now 40 or 50 sales appointments in virtually for my pool company. Okay, My agency has been doing this a while, but my pool company never done it. And every single person is saying the same thing. You can probably guess what it is. They're saying, my gosh, why haven't we been doing this all along? And the other amazing thing about it is instead of taking the you know one to two hour drive to the house and being there for two hours and driving one to two hours back and missing you know, your entire evening with your family, now my sales team is able to do three sales appointments or more in one day and still eat dinner with their family. And it's unbelievable. Think about the qualification too. We talked about where they are in the sales funnel. Your mm-hmm. client has made the commitment to go outside, watch the video, take the pictures, fill out the form. They're already vested in the process far more. Great observation, Steve. And 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 that is one thing that the more they do, the more vested, to your point, they are. And therefore, in, in layman's terms, the further down the funnel they are as well and the closer they are to saying yes. And that was one thing that's so amazing about this. And I you know, quickly saw a whole set of best practices before, and I and I knew the best practice in the groups that my team was having. So I said, I'm just going to teach how to fix these problems. And all of a sudden, boom, I had a brand new talk, a brand new talk, and it was amazing. And it and I wouldn't have even thought about really giving it three months ago, Steve. Now I've given it, geez, I don't know how many webinars I've given it, but I've just given it so many times, and everybody is like, this is gold, gold. It's so simple, Steve, and this is what's beautiful. Gold is found in the simple things, not in the complex. This goes back to you don't – I've always told people, if, if they listen to me and they say, my gosh, that guy's a genius, then I feel like I failed them because what I want them to say is, what the freak? If that guy can do it, why the heck can't we do it? <laughs> you see what I'm saying, right? There's a big difference in that mindset I do right there. And, you know, it's like all these little things. It's like I, I taught a group a couple of weeks ago for the first time. I said, here's a, here's a technique of how you can get the other party to always turn their camera on for your sales appointments. Okay? And, of course, everybody has this problem. And nobody has taught how to overcome it. And so it's like I teach it and they say, my gracious – this is wonderful. Can you teach my entire company how to do these things, right? Now, all, all of a sudden, there's a whole business model. And what did I go out and do? I went out and bought the URL, virtualsellinginstitute.com, virtualsalesinstitute.com. And I can see there's a whole brand new business just waiting right there for me. Because, again, I'm taking the same thing that happened in 28, which is what is a basic act that so many have to do in the business world, and I'm simplifying it in a way that everybody can put their arms around and say, ain't no problem. I can do what he just said. That's easy. And I'm not overcomplicating it like a lot of these folks do. And once again, 
it's going to it's going to treat me very very well and my brand continues to evolve and that's why i'm already feeling a sense of gratitude for what's going on and certainly not for the negative components you know of the health for so many people but i'm again i have a choice i can feel really crappy and wallow or i can feel gratitude and that's the choice i'm going to make and we have to take out of this for all the pain and suffering we have to find the silver linings. And I think some of us feel a little bit guilty about trying to find them right now. But the the, the comprehension now that we can do these virtual sales calls. Um, I've got a client in Mumbai, in, in India, and their offices have been shut down, obviously. And their president was telling me the other day that he doesn't think they're ever going to open their offices the same way. His staff doesn't travel two hours. They're finding they are just as efficient because they're being forced to be just as efficient. And there's only one department that they're struggling with. Everybody else are more efficient. And so there he, he says the quality of life for his entire team is going to improve on the other side of this. Yeah, and it's even more significant in India because you look at India and most of them are working, not most, but many of them in the business world are working U.S. or North American hours, Yeah, right? And many of them will travel one to two hours to get to work at that office building. You know, I've spoken in India multiple times. And when you see what they go through on an average day, just to get that paycheck, it's, it's dumb. It's dumb. Here's, and here's so the thing that resonated so much as well. You'll love this. If you were in Mumbai, he says he grew up in Mumbai. He goes out for a run every night. And he goes, Steve, I can see the stars. I've never seen the stars in my city. I can see the stars. It's pretty wild. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's, 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 really it's a promise of better, better things as far as they are concerned as well. So, are you gonna? Are you gonna? Is it a trade secret? Do we have to sign up? Or are you gonna tell us how we get customers to turn on their cameras? <laughs> well, the way no, the way you get somebody to turn on the camera is very, very simple, and all has to do with how you prep the call, and it's twofold. You have to give the why, and then you have to get the commitment. And so let's say you and my prospect and we we're talking on the phone, Steve, it might sound something like this. Now, the way we're going to do this call on Friday, Steve, it's through Zoom. And um, and let's just assume that you're familiar with Zoom. So I know you're familiar with, with Zoom. You all have used it before in your office. But in this case, it's going to be a video call. And we're both going to have our cameras on. Now, the reason why we're both going to have our cameras on is because it's really important that you can see me. You're going to get to know me. And we're going to be partners for a long time in this. The other thing is I need a bit to see you. The reason why I need a bit to see you is I'm going to be explaining some complicated things. And if you don't understand them, I need to be able to explain them better. And therefore, I'll be able to see that. So will you make sure to turn your cameras on for a meeting on Friday, Steve? Of course, you're going to say yes. Now, what I just explained was utterly simple. Yep. And maybe 1% of sales teams are doing that right now. And this is why so many of them find that the person doesn't turn their camera on. And we know for a fact that sales rates go down somewhere between 10 to 20% when, the, when both cameras are not on for sales calls. Because it's attention. We need, we need all of those, all of those um, senses engaging. That's, well, that, that, well, that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. But you notice the way that I said that too, it wasn't like it was optional. Yeah. It, you know, the only thing that sounded optional was when I asked you at the end. But the whole time I said, so here's what we're going to do. And here's why we're going to do it. And here's going to be the result. Will you do that? And it's for our, it's it, for both of our benefit. It's for our benefit. You understood the why. It was obvious. And nobody's going to say, no, I'm not going to give you every reason. If they say no to that, well, then guess what? You just saved yourself a lot of time. <laughs> 
because they're basically saying, no, I do not want to pay attention to you when you're talking, yes. Marcus. I'm not interested in paying attention. Yeah. So, so you're, so you're looking with, with, with excitement about what the next chapter is going to lead to once we get on the other side. Right. Because A, I choose to. B, it's way more fun to view it from that lens than it is from any other. Because we're going to have to, because we're thinking about it. So I might as well think big and uh, look forward to it. Um, I'm going to see the opportunity. It doesn't mean that you're not a realist. I think sometimes people think when you're really overly optimistic that you're not a realist. Um, I just know that in every period of the world, there are people that have achieved greatness, that businesses that have gained market share, businesses that have grown. Um, it's always the case. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to go through my dips. It just means that I'm going to choose to continue to move forward and live in the solution, always. For our community, for the gray zone, um, the biggest fear most of us have is uh, is the fear of losing relevance, is is being marginalized by what's happening and not being and not being not being relevant in today's world. And we've got a great weapon against that, which is experience, which we can bring to bear. Uh, and but so many of us don't see it in ourselves. And I think that your 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 message, and you know, if, for anybody that has not read the book, we will obviously have links. But they ask you answer, and I'm not just blowing smoke. Marcus's book landed at the perfect time as I transitioned from my old business, and the simplicity resonated with me. And I built my business. I didn't do everything that you say in it. I but the core message is exactly yeah. what I needed, yeah. and I made it my own. And I wish I wish I'd said it first, but I didn't. Damn it. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but the other word that you use so often is trust. And that's, there's yeah. so many layers to that. And the first for my community is we have to trust that we still have relevance. We have to trust that we still, mm -hmm. and that we can find our way to building this new business, to pivoting, to reinventing ourselves. And every one of us in this space, we're all having to go through some form of transition now. So it shouldn't be something that we're afraid of. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, if you look at it, it's like you know you have a certain set of expertise and you don't have to be the smartest. Like this, like the phrase says, you just have to know a little bit more than the next person. And if that little bit more is helpful to them, well, then they see you in a different light. And no, you're not going to know everything. You know, I just got to, you know, I get those email solicitations all the time. Hey, Marcus, you know, we're doing a roundup post on this. We're doing an expert post on this. At least half of them I say, you know what, that's not my thing. I'm just not I'm not an expert. It's like I don't need I don't need to to blow smoke and say, well, here's what I would do. No. Like literally on half of them I'm like, I have no idea. This is not my thing. Somebody said, you know, what do you think about influencer marketing, Marcus? What's your biggest tip? I don't know. I don't I don't have anything to say about influencer marketing. It's just not my thing. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> and I think so it's important to remember that, right? It's like you don't need to be super knowledgeable in all these areas. And, and the less you care about that, very likely the more people are going to see in you the sincerity, the trust is grow, going to grow, and the trust leads to them taking action in some way, shape, or form. That's, that's business 101. That's life. Yeah. Well, I think that the strength that – and the message that I always get from you, Marcus, is you have simple core principles, but you are not ever – dismissive of any advances in technology or different ways of doing things. Even though your mind is, you're firm on a path, your mind is always open to new ways of doing things and new opportunities. 
and recognize them. And I think even you obviously kick yourself in the pants sometimes and goes, I wish I trusted my instincts more on that. The, the case in point, the virtual sales calls that you've been mm-hmm. noodling around, yeah. but for whatever reason, you never pushed it through. And you know you could have, but you didn't. That's right. Until now you have to. So I think those are those are solid lessons that we need to well, learn. Well, that, and that's the thing is it's you take the principle to the next platform as it appears. And that way you're always ready for the next platform when it happens. So it's like, it's, it's, there's, there's not this secret sauce to Facebook. It's a set of principles that also worked to a degree on MySpace that are going to work, that are working to a degree on every other platform. You know, if you look at like the, you know, 10 most important core rules for success on social media, if you take each platform, you're going to find that fundamentally most of them are the same. And so whatever happens next, whatever happens next, it's like, okay, you just got to take the principle to that, right? Like principle number one, don't try to appear smart. Just seek Mm -hmm. communion with your audience. Seek understanding. It's like, boom, okay, that's a principle. That's going to help you win trust all day long, right? So it's just things, little things like that. Little things like that will go such, such a long ways. And the internet, of the, if the world works still on the was still on the gold standard, the internet's going to, for our business, content marketing, whatever you want to call it, it's going to work on the trust standard at the end of the day. That's, that's the one marketable piece. One of have. my favorite questions to ask a business owner, do you think trust is going to be fundamental to your business, to your industry 50 years from today? They will always say yes. But if you say, do you think content marketing is going to be fundamental to your business in 50 years? They're going to give you an odd look. And that's... That's why if we latch on and teach via principles and always bring it back to that, you'll also find common ground, even with those that don't necessarily want to agree with you, right? Right? Even with those that might be opposed to you. But if you say, let's have a conversation about trust tonight, now you'll get the attention and now you might have a breakthrough. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation with Marcus Sheridan as much as I enjoyed having it. I could seriously listen to that guy talk all day long. For some reason, he just makes sense to me. And obviously, he helped me out a lot as I began building my own online business. Now, I do have one favor to ask of you. We all know people who are in the gray zone, but not yet really aware of all of the things that they could do online, how to bring their gifts, how to bring their talents into the online space. Well, I encourage you, if you would be so kind as to share this podcast with them, tell them this is a place that they can come, that they can learn a little bit more about taking the gifts and the abilities, the experience they have and transitioning it into an online business. That is what Gray Matters is all about, supporting baby boomers and Gen Xers, understanding how they can remain relevant in the digital age. With that, I'm going to wrap things up. Until next time, I'm Steve Dotto. Have fun storming a castle. <laughs>